And then, someone pointed off into the distance. I looked, I, I couldn't see anything. I fixed a look right at me and he goes, let's go, they're coming. What's up guys, this is Elton Anderson. And I'm originally from Detroit, Michigan, but I love to travel. So much so that I've been to over 80 countries in the last 12 years, and I definitely don't see myself stopping anytime soon. And I'm super happy to listen to this podcast because it's some gems in here, guys. Listening to his podcast, I told him the other day I listened to another episode, and it felt like I was watching a movie with my ears. That's just the way that Don is. He's an amazing storyteller. So, Don, thanks so much for having me, and thanks so much for teaching me as well, bro. Love you, man. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Traveler's Art Podcast. I think you're really going to enjoy this episode. It's one of those episodes that was a lot of fun to remember and jot notes down, and it, it was it was a very interesting time. And I think the underlying message is uh, very cogent in today's today's world. Now, before we jump into the story, I wanted everybody to know I have got the Traveler's Art Podcast on Google Podcast, Podplay, Spotify, Amazon, and of course, Apple Podcast. I've included hyperlinks in the notes section to help you share it with your friends. I'm excited about this. This is great. You know, a lot of people have Android phones or where they like to listen to it streaming uh, on their laptop or something similar. So it's cool. Still working on the YouTube thing. Uh, to be honest, I'm kind of dragging my feet. Um, I, it's really challenging. I'm not really good with the Google products that they offer. It seems really clunky. I'm much more of like an old school Apple user where it's drag and drop and makes sense. So I'm, I'm having some challenges. So I tend to put it off. <laughs> You know, one of the things I was thinking about before we jump in here is when, when we spend more and more time traveling, we end up developing our kind of our travel style and our methods of travel. As an example, I prefer lower budget accommodations and I usually spend most of my time walking the streets and immersing myself in the given culture that I'm actually involved in and came to see. In fact, my opinion is, honestly, most hotel experiences insulate us from connecting with people, cultures, and ultimately influencing a change in who we are and our perspectives. The last thing I want to do is to pose next to a pool at some hotel drinking overpriced booze served by the local impoverished population. If you haven't done a long trip that has a fair amount of foot and local transportation mixed in, it can be a bit shocking as to how hard it can be to move around with your stuff. So over time, I basically developed a method of travel which was influenced by other travelers, people I met, reading, and experiences. It's not a better way per se, but it does magnify and leverage my travel experiences, which for me, and I think everybody out there, is kind of the core reason to travel. In short, there's no perfect way to travel, but there are better ways. I think as we learn about travel, as we discuss travel, and we 
go traveling more often, we start to learn how little we need, you know, which is kind of the point of this uh, podcast today. Okay, so enough on that. That's just a side little note. Um, Today's story, like I said, is a good one, and it's called The Essentials. I was putting all my camera gear in the hard cases. I'll be bringing two check bags, one small bag of clothes, and one hard case of photo lighting gear. My carry-on would be my laptop case and my primary camera box, both of which, I might add, were also carry-on certified. I had a horrifying experience in Russia when my previous camera case was not carry-on certified, and then, the airline required me to check close to $10,000 worth of cameras, lenses, etc. I will never forget the feeling of watching that case go in the hands of a baggage handler who smiled as he walked away. Thankfully, the gear was insured, but you know, without gear, you can't work. So I checked my passport and visa to ensure things were in order and placed my vital documents in a Ziploc bag taped to the front door, right near the door handle. So when I left my apartment, It's right there in front of me, and it goes right in my travel coat pocket so I don't forget my my key documents. And I also put hard copies of those documents in my carry-on just in case something is lost. I then walked down the hall and into the bedroom where I laid out all the things I would be taking with me on the bed. I did this so I could visually see what I was actually going to bring. I developed this technique because it actually aids me in preventing from bringing too much stuff. I also made sure to have a few tools because I would be going to a place that was fairly remote. So I bought things like a sewing kit, some zip ties, some tape, a few items like that. I then went ahead, put it all in the bag and zipped or closed. I was standing, leaning on the luggage cart, waiting for the baggage carousel to get my bags. The bag started to slide down and I kept looking and thankfully my bags were some of the first to land on the carousel. I walked over, I found my bag and my hard case and proceeded to walk out with all four items on the cart to meet my fixer and driver for the project I was on. I then walked out of the Jomo Kenyatta Airport located in Nairobi, Kenya. As I walked out, I was greeted with a myriad of signs with people's names on them. And there was mine, and I met my fixer, James. He was a tall and quite handsome Lua tribal member. We loaded the bags in the Land Rover, we both got in, and we proceeded to drive through downtown Nairobi, and eventually we would stop at my my guest house I would be staying in. (laughs) The traffic in Nairobi can get really bad. And yet, I still don't understand how the Kenyans can make a mess of a traffic circle. But they do a bang-up job, I'll let you know. I I have been in a lot of driving situations where traffic circles are used. And granted, if it's really congested, it's tough for everybody. But in general, they, they aid in traffic congestion reduction. I unlocked the door to the small and modest room that is part of a house that is full of fellow creatives, a writer, a fellow photographer, a filmmaker, and a news reporter. The short time I spent in that house would have a huge impact on much of my creative process, 
And this was mainly due to the continued sharing and support all of these individuals gave each other. It was really neat for me. I tend to be very autonomous and uh, a little bit of a, I I wouldn't say a loner, I'm quite social, but I'm naturally just kind of keep to myself in a way. It was a wonderful, cool evening in Nairobi. I was at a dinner party full of all sorts of eclectic people living and working in Nairobi. That is the one thing about Nairobi I really love. There's such an eclectic congregation of really interesting people. And, as one would have it, I ended up meeting a very interesting gentleman from Holland. We chatted for a while. I told him I was working on a project about orphan children. He said, you have to go to Dadaab and walk the refugee camps. Uh, I said, well, why? He said, there are close to 213,000 Somali refugees. And there are plenty of orphans and people caring for orphans. I said, well, that's certainly interesting. He then told me, you'll need to get a permit from the Media Council of Kenya. I said, well, how do I do that? Pulls out a paper and pen, wrote a series of steps and locations I would need to visit. It was your standard list of bureaucratic steps I had seen all too often in my career. It was far too complicated for what was being attempted, but it also wasn't impossible. So the list was actually not that bad. I need a letter about my project. How long would I intend to be there? Was I independent or with an agency? I would need to file a request letter to actually go. I would need to fill out a submission form that surprisingly was pretty straightforward. My fixer ended up uh, dropping me off and I walked into the Media Council of Kenya and their primary office and handed my paperwork to them. They looked it over and it would be about 10 working days until I would know if I could get in or not. Well, that's a ways off, you know, 10 working days. That doesn't include weekends. So I think I ended up, it was actually going into my third week where I could get an answer. So I decided to do a local project with a friend of mine in the densely populated squatter town slash slum called Kibera, which is located in the Nairobi area of Kenya. It's a very intense place to be. Residents live on about a dollar a day. Clean water is scarce. Hygiene is a real challenge. And violence is pretty common. It was a difficult place to work, but my fixer James provided me with vital information and access. And we were able to move pretty freely throughout the entire slum, except for one area. I ended up doing a a small, short project for a friend that was doing after-school programs for kids. It was was pretty inspiring, actually. I really enjoyed that shoot for, for that group. I walked out of the Media Council of Kenya dejected and depressed. I had been refused access to the refugee camp. I ended up getting into a taxi and made my way back to the house, thinking all the while, well, now what? On the back porch of the house, the sun was starting to set. I sat in a chair, drinking a local Tusker beer, muddling over my options and ultimately my remaining ideas. The writer in the group house walked up and asked me how things were going. And I went ahead and told him what had happened, that I had gotten rejected and turned down. And he says, Oh, well, you want to go to the Somali townships and villages in Somalia, not the refugee camps. I have a guy who can take you there and guide you and knows people. He's a bit rough on the edges, but I think you'll get along with him just fine. Well, I poured more beer in my glass, took a long sip. 
I put the glass back down on the table, and I said, sounds perfect. Rumbling down the dry dirt road where everything is rattling, including my teeth, I'm definitely in a state of heightened awareness. I was seeing everything. I took note of everything. The shapes of hills, the odd tree, the color of the sand, the smell of the dry dust, and the effect of the heat on me. I also checked my small pocket compass I brought with me just to be sure it had a general idea of our direction and our direction to get back. We had crossed the Kenya-Somali border in the dark just before daybreak. The details of the crossing are still a little fuzzy in my mind due to the 1 a.m. start and the slow and challenging drive that we had to take to make our way safely across the border. It was daylight now and we were coming up to one of the villages that is often used as a waypoint before crossing the border. You know, this was a very humbling experience. As every set of eyes told me the same story. This was the story of loss, of fear, of worry, of hunger. It was a human to human experience. All other aspects of life were really meaningless. These people were clearly running scared. I heard stories of hardship and violence that I'll never forget. We stayed there for a few hours, then we moved on to another spot. Under the shade of a tree, we stopped to eat a late lunch and talk about whether we're going to continue or go to another village and secure some overnight accommodation. The food and water is extremely scarce, so we ended up bringing our own. So we decided to call it a day today. My driver thought it'd be a good idea for us to go to a village that he knew would be safe for us to stay. As we were driving there, I couldn't stop thinking about all of the stories I had heard and some of the faces I had photographed. Yeah. We pulled up to some dwellings that looked so dilapidated they actually looked abandoned. And out of them and around some of the corners came people. They were hiding from us until they saw that we were not local thugs. My fixer spoke to a man from the truck window as close to 15 people stared at me and the driver from every vantage point, usually touching their faces to the window, and their eyes were unblinking. It's not the first time it's happened to me, but I will say that in this case, it was a little unnerving. We pulled forward, parked our truck behind a mud wall next to the corner of a small hut. Out of the back seat of the truck, under James's small back, he pulled a large bag of rice out, put it over his shoulder, and walked over to a doorway and said something, and a woman and man came out. He handed them the rice and talked for a while. The introductions and conversation ensued. It was fascinating to watch. I was feeling extremely uneasy with the news that I had just heard. In short, our presence and activities had spread to local thugs, and we were not safe. We decided to cut our trip short, and after a few hours after sunset, we would then head back and cross the border. It was, uh, it was upsetting. I wanted to continue to work, but it was, uh, the right choice was to get out of town. Before we had left, I thought deeply about the magnitude of going into Somalia, crossing the border illegally over land. 
essentially via surreptitious means. And I thought about what I would need and what I should bring. I had so much great gear for creative work, I wanted to bring most of it. I battled with the classic collection of statements that so many people say, including myself. I want options. What if I don't have it? It doesn't weigh that much. I need it. But instead, I trimmed everything down to the bare essentials. Nothing that wasn't absolutely necessary would be brought on this trip. It all fit into a larger day pack. Everything except for the food and the water, which was in the back seat, hidden from the view, and the classic sticky fingers that do tend to roam around. In essence, I could run with everything I had on my back. Standing next to our, our truck, I decided to take a walk down a trail to an area where people were congregating under a tree. It took a while to get to the group, and the truck seemed pretty far away. My fixer said, let's not get too much further away from that truck. As we approached the group, they were a bit hesitant. My fixer said a few words. A man stood up, spoke to him, and then someone pointed off into the distance. I looked, I, I couldn't see anything. My fixer looked right at me and he goes, let's go, they're coming. I was just about to take some photos and possibly take some notes and document the situation here. I didn't see anything I said as I turned my head to see him gone, running back to the truck. I stuffed my, my equipment in my pack, I shouldered it and started to run back to the truck, following him. My fixer got to the truck, jumped in, pulled out and drove away from me. He can't be leaving me, I said to myself, but he was gone behind the small huts and shanty structures. I was beyond myself, but I just kept running. I made it to the huts, and there he was, putting the bags of rice in a hole in the ground and threw a cover over it. My fixer saw me. Get in, we have to get out of here right away. I looked behind me, and there, off in the distance, there was a truck load of armed thugs, and they were coming our way. I thought to myself, let's hope we don't get a flat. The lack of a spare tire was of concern when we were in Kenya, but the tires seemed to be in pretty good shape. What I was more concerned about was running out of fuel. As we continued down the dirt road, my fixer's eyes, they didn't move. He was so focused on getting us out of there. I kept looking back and with the dust being kicked up by our truck, I really couldn't see them. We ended up going up this ridge line and as I looked down, I noticed it appeared that our pursuers had lost interest and had ended their chase. My driver's eyes were still very focused. And quite frankly, I was high as a kite on adrenaline. We ended up driving back to the border in silence. I opened the door to my room. I switched on the light. The clock said 3.30 a.m. I put my kid on the bed and looked at it picked it up once more and was so grateful that I had only brought the essentials. As I was telling this story, I couldn't actually believe it had happened. It was almost too bizarre to be real. But sometimes the truth is often stranger and more amazing than fiction. I share this story because my ultra-lean kit allowed me to run 
and potentially save my own life. That truck could have broken down and I would have had to haul all that gear. I would have abandoned it. I would have lost it. And ultimately, by it being so light, I wasn't weighed down by this huge amount of stuff. It was a hard choice. But in the end, everything I brought was used. After that project, I made a huge adjustment on what I would bring on projects and ultimately how I'd end up traveling. Now I know few, if any of you, would put yourself in such a dangerous situation where it was so life and death. But I share this story to kind of exemplify a philosophical position. The less we bring on our trip, the better the trip will actually go. We have less to manage, less to fold, less to wash, less to stow, to keep track of, to worry about, to lose, to repack. You know, I've noticed a few things as I've been traveling by myself and with other people. A tourist brings lots of luggage with lots of options. A traveler brings a carry-on with things that have more than one purpose. A tourist forgets that everyone brushes their teeth, so they bring a full-size tube of toothpaste. A traveler knows that most people brush their teeth, and so most places will have toothpaste. In short, I think what I'm really getting at is, your culture is not the only culture that lives and knows how to live. You know, on my first trip to Cambodia, in the days before social media, and the internet, in some ways, I met a Chinese-Canadian woman that had been on the road traveling for over a year with just a certified carry-on. That's all she carried. She admitted that she had started out with a, like a hard case, a check bag, a large purse, and then a small backpack. But that changed over the months that she had been on the road. She realized in short that all her stuff was getting in the way of her experience and all the time of her effort putting into dressing up with multiple outfits ultimately landed on closed eyes. You know, I always feel that the less you have, the more you experience. So I try to encourage people, trim, cut, remove, pitch, get your travel bag to the size of a carry-on and make it a backpack. You'll be really glad you did. And there ultimately really is no downside. Light is right. everyone that's going to wrap it up for this episode thanks a lot for listening and sharing this time together and diving deeper into the philosophical aspects of of travel you know if you enjoyed this podcast do me a favor if you know one person that's a traveler or dreams of travel or benefit from a travel podcast like this please share this podcast with them it's easy to do and it costs nothing and as a reminder we are on google podcast podplay spotify amazon and of course, Apple Podcast. I've included hyperlinks in the notes section to help you share it with your friends. If you want to connect with me, visit the website, thetravelersart.com, where you can send me an email. I'm going to end this episode with some music that I think is quite fitting. Until next time, I'll talk to you soon. <laughs>